what a, an incredible journey that I guess all of us have been on to some degree, but don't forget that journey continues. It doesn't just stop just because we've, we've got words that we can only just pronounce. Um, neurosarcoidosis. It took me all night just repeating that. Just to, oh, I've got to use it more than once just to make it worthwhile. But uh, on top of that, uh, and in a, in, a, in a spirit of thankfulness, I guess, continuing, we have a, a guest speaker this morning. The right, honourable, revered and reverend Pastor Greg French. Now... There's a lot I could say about Greg, mostly good stuff. Um, but most importantly, he, he is somebody who has been a supporter and a friend to our church here at C3 Nord for many years, who comes with a, a breadth of knowledge and wisdom which has blessed us over the years. And uh, e even more than that, that knowledge and wisdom, he always comes with a passion and an excitement and, and, a, and a slightly sort of um, I'm going to get you attitude. So um, be prepared. This is another one of those God moments, I think. You know, uh, we've got to prepare ourselves for the, the opportunity of taking advantage of what Greg, Greg has brought us. So will you welcome Pastor Greg French this morning? Oh, no, bye. Thank you very much. Grab a seat and uh, thank you very much for that wonderful introduction. A well overrated introduction, may I say. Um, but yeah, and I think Liz might be online, right? There, so Liz, we love you. And so good to hear such a great report. And to me, that's what church is all about. That's community. Is that when, you, when we're going through a challenge, we can go through it together. And when you just have that sense and feeling, there are other people standing with you. Paul says that I may not be present with you, but though I'm there in spirit, we can do the same thing. And I love that. And to me, that's what church is all about. It's just not here, oh, give me the word. You need to feed me today. No, it's more that when we gather, we are saying one thing to one another. We stand with you. We are with you in your challenges and the, in the wonderful moments of celebration, but also in those moments of challenge as well. Amen. So Liz, we love you. We'll keep you in prayer and believing for great things that you'll be back here before we even know. And also to David and the family who have done such a fantastic job as well, standing alongside and supported by their local church. In saying that too, I just want to give a, a huge shout out to wonderful couple, um, Bob and Sally, no, Chris and Vicky, who I, I just want to say thank you for having me here. I always feel like I come to the family. I just catch up with the fam. Just like it's a family get together and lunch and sitting down, eating a bit here, a bit of glass of wine there, a bit of a chat of coffee. It's just so refreshing to go somewhere, no matter I'm away from my home and all the rest of it, I travel a lot, but to go to a church that you actually feel like at home. And I, I really do want to say thank you for always making me feel very welcome because I enjoy coming here. I get excited. Then I meet the rest of the family. I get excited too. Then I meet the church and I get excited. I even get excited when I met Pete. I got really excited the other day when I met Pete. You know, I mean, Pete is such a fascinating, that mind is incredible. How do you, what goes on in there? We did an interview on Friday and I thought, this guy, it'd be, he'd be like, what I'm saying out here, but you have to live on the inside of this. 
Pete did a launch yesterday, a book launch, and fantastic. Just what I've read so far, Pete, fascinating, but it really explores just life. When life stops for a moment and everything comes together, it's really interesting. So get that book if um, I don't have any books, but get Pete's book. Um, well worth the look. Uh, today, you know, look, there's so many things I got to have, and I'll, I'll say here, and I want to respect time as well and everybody here, but you know, who's, has anyone watched the Jesus Revolution movie yet? A couple of people? Two. Okay, that's a good start. Um, yeah, okay. Oh, they're the real Christians. Um, but, you know, it's, I, the other day we were invited to go along with some friends some time back and then we weren't able to see it. And then Julian, I said, oh, let's just watch it, just finishing off a little bit of a holiday. So we sat down and, man, it convicted me. This is why I'm saying that's why you need to be seeing this. Um, it, it was like that fog moment. Brendan, that fog moment. You need a good fog to stop you, to pause you in life. And, and I love that. And we sat and watched this movie, and there's a lot in the movie. But, you know, I'm always looking for that one thing, grasping one thing from an experience. And in the movie, at the, the end of it, it was just the whole story of this uh, Lonnie Frisbee, this sort of hippie street preacher meeting a, a pastor in a church in a very, um, very traditional church and... Greg Laurie, who is an incredible preacher and minister now in California and is well-respected around the world as a great ministry in himself, basically got saved through this. But the whole thing which caught my whole attention was is that really when the message came in Greg's challenge, Greg Laurie's challenge when he is out there, just this hippie-come guy, Lonnie just sits down with him, Greg gets out of a car, he's stoned and gets out of a car and stumbles and falls to the ground. And, and Lonnie had just been watching him, comes up to him and on the ground, he gets down to him, just sat in the rain and said, are you okay? And then he says, it's just about Jesus. And that was the whole, if I looked at the move, you had to grab it. It's just about Jesus. And there's some great stuff and there's all these young people and the move, the <clears throat> Jesus revolution but that the hippie jesus revolution what an incredible move of god among the young people and how the church struggled to adapt to bring this young group of people in incredible and i thought i never want to see that in our movement and in our churches that people aren't welcome everybody is welcome the church is an open door it should not have doors on it i know this is a community center that needs doors but you and I'm saying is that the doors need to be open, irrespective of who you are, what you've done, where you've been. But when people come, they see people who are like Jesus, Christ-like, who are exhibiting, who demonstrate who, what, if they would just stood near them, it's not what they said, or you need a Bible, or it's just like, I don't know, I've just felt something powerful by being here today, and I don't know what it is about you, but you are different. I want people to feel the Jesus that I asked into my life. I want to turn the light up. That movie turned the light off in Greek French. I'm sorry, I'll get to my message in a moment. I've got five minutes to go and then I've got to get off. The clock has no power over me. We've been discussing that the other day, led by the Spirit. This could go all day. But that whole concept of just in being in that place of Jesus, of that where, where is Jesus in my life? How much does he occupy? You know, and we watched the movie on Thursday night and Friday I came down here and Friday night I spent half the night awake thinking about this, going over the movie and 
And in that time, and I thought, how much in everything that I do in my work, my family, my life, my sport, my whatever, my challenges, how much is Jesus in there? You know, and with Liz and the challenge, a challenge comes, and we spoke about this on Friday with, with Peter on the podcast, is when a challenge comes, I mean, we're all broken to a degree. And again, you know, does that need to happen? I think it does need to happen because if we were in a perfected state, you wouldn't need Jesus. And Jesus wants us to find him so he can restore and recover, put it all back together again. But we need him. And I just lay in bed at 2 a.m. in the morning thinking, how much? And the unfortunate part, it was, I, I sort of did an, an assessment. I had about 37%, sorry. And I'm preaching today of Jesus in me. Because he was in there, but he wasn't consuming who I was. That moved me, showed all these young people so passionate. So I want to hear about Jesus, to be in Jesus. Wasn't caught up in all the, 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 char- the, the charisma and the presentation. That's all important, but it was all about Jesus. Now, I really want to say today, as, again, Brendan was stuck in the fog, his little boy, he's, he's having a wonderful moment with his little man out there, and he couldn't see too far. Sometimes you need a moment in your life so you can't let all the things in your world be visible. Because Jesus wants to bring us back to us and him. You can't see. You can't go. You have to slow down. I love all that because that's exactly what I want this morning to be. And the reality is Jesus really just wants to build a relationship with us. I'm going to do a Lonnie. I've just decided I'm going to do a Lonnie message here this morning. When you see the movie, you'll understand what I mean. There's not much content. There's a lot of Jesus. But that's all it is, ultimately. My challenge here, I'm 67, I'm almost 68, and I'm going, Greg, you've got a lot more to do, and I don't want you to stake it. This is what I was saying to myself, and I don't want you to take another step unless Jesus is increasing in the percentage in your life. I want him to be in all that I do. I want people to say, I don't know what that is about there, but there's something different about you. I don't want to be... Uh, just a spectator, spectators who sit, who turn up. Thank the Lord, people turn up. But people who turn up, but they shine. They turn up and they turn on in Jesus, that they light up the building. They light up their relationship, the handshake, the how are you? And to me, it's all about where is Jesus in our life? And so often there's so many things in our world which can actually override, consume, and then Jesus starts to shrink back into that little part and pocket in our heart, which is not where he should be. If I have the mind of Christ, as it says in Scripture, my thoughts should be consumed in his thoughts, in my actions, in everything that I do. If we are Christ-like, Christ-likes means to be similar in action and outworking by, by manner, by behavior, by conversation. Where is he in my conversation? That's my challenge to you today. And it's not here that you're not doing it. I mean, I'm talking about other people in other churches, not this church, of course. But the reality is that really to stop, and we'll pause at the end of this service, really to think, where is Jesus in my life? How much is he in my thoughts, in my mind? You know, and, and, and all of this theological, you can check with the Archbishop of the, the Greek Orthodox Church who is visiting with us today, the Archbishop Jordan down the front there. People are going, what's going on here? Don't worry about it. Just have fun and enjoy yourself. 
But in that moment, it's like, really? And I want us just to, to take that pause for a moment. Close your eyes. And there's that scripture which comes out of Psalm 46. And it does say, be still and know that I am God. And I think sometimes in the Hebrew, the way it was written, it says, be still. Then there is a little comma and there is a time when nothing is said. It's a pause. You won't find God. Know where God is in your life where Jesus is in your world unless you allow that comma to cause you to pause, to cause you to know that he is God. And Jesus, I pray, in respecting people's time here today, but I pray that every single one of us just takes a moment and at the close, when I finish, I'll ask everyone to ask you, where is Jesus? Do you even know him? Or maybe you have and you stepped away. You can reconsider and step back in that relationship. But I want all of us to truthfully be truthful to yourself. How much of Jesus is in my day, in my life, in my world? And how can I improve his visibility in my life? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Follow me at the back there on the screens. You're going to have to follow me because I'm going to be moving rapidly. How does Jesus start his ministry? That's a good question. How does he start his ministry? I'd usually pause here, ask a few people, don't have time moving right along. How does he start? Does he start his ministry like, everybody, sit down. I need to tell you who I am. Now, take a minute, stop listen and hear what I've got to say. Is that how he starts his ministry? I could ask Ash and Ash is going, no. And, and she's saying no for good reason. I'm assuming she's right on the same path with me in the spirit together. No, he doesn't do that. Jesus and all of his connection of relationships, of building connection of relationship is done not by come and let me tell you who I am, and you can read in John 1, verse 38 and 39, Jesus says there, he says, Jesus looked around and saw them following. That was Andrew and another disciple of John the Baptist. What do you want, he asked. Great question. What do you want in life? That's a great question to ask yourself. What do you want in life? I just want this, I want that. Ultimately, every single person, and even in that moment, in part of the discussions about Liz, and Liz watching online would be able to vouch for this. You really is what is life all about. And ultimately, it leads you right back to Jesus. Jesus says, what do you want? He asked them. They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher. Where are you staying? And then he says, come and see. Come and see. Not come and hear. Come and see. Christ-likeness is more about what people are seeing of you than hearing from you. What they do when they see you, when they see you, do they see Jesus? Back to my original point. How much of Jesus is visible in your life, in your workplace, in your home? The home is the place where it's tested the most. My Lord, that's where it's tested. Especially when all the grandchildren come over at once. 
Every part of your Jesus Christ-likeness is tested. But he says, come follow me. In the 90s, guy, you might be able to remember this, most of you will. Remember that little bracelet, that little plastic bracelet was WWJD? What would John do? No, no, what would Jesus do? Incredible little bracelet. Everyone wore them. It came out of a, a young woman by the name of Janie Tinkleberg. She was Dutch. She lived in America. She had this idea because her family read this book, and this book was called In His Steps. Over 200 million or more, they unable to work out, but she started just getting these and, and, and getting them made and handing them out. Over 200, 300, who knows how many, was here in Australia as well. And people wore them. And what was the purpose of wearing these little things on the wrist to go, hey, <laughs> how does it look? Does it go with my outfit? What do you think? No. It was simply to do what it said. To pause. Be still for a moment. Pause. What would Jesus do in this situation? Where did she get that thought and that idea? Incredible in itself. But she got it out of a book that her family had, was one of their favorite books. And it was a book written by a gentleman by the name of Charles Sheldon back in 1896. Long time ago. How relevant could that be? Very relevant. She was there and had this book and she'd read the story herself. She'd, they talked about it. It was one of the, the family when they'd get together and have dinner. And they would talk about this incredible book. And it was about a gentleman, a pastor, who was in this story. And I won't go into the details because of time, but this pastor was there and he was a pastor in this fictitious place. It was a, a, a fiction novel that Pastor Shelvin, the pastor of the church, had written because it had so impressed upon him. And in this novel that he had written, and I'm stirred by this because Peter stirred me in this thought on Friday, is to actually write something which wasn't quite in the, quite the correctness of context because he's a pastor. And why would he write a novel? He should be writing some theological journal. But he wasn't. He wrote a novel. And the novel was about a simple story that he had heard, but he constructed into a novel. And the novel itself was about a, a, a pastor who was one day in his manse preparing for the Sunday um, message. And he, as he was there, he heard a knock upon his door and this man came to him sort of like, again, looking destitute and very thin and looked look like, again, death warmed up. And he was at the door and the man pleaded, is there any way that you could help me, sir? And as the man was there, he, he listened to his story. He was a printer who'd been out of work for over 10 months. And the pastor then looked at him and said, no, I can't help you and closed the door. The pastor goes back and prepares his message. The next Sunday morning, the, the service is underway and this man again comes in and walks down the middle of the aisle of the church to the very front of the church. And the pastor is about to deliver his message and all the Christian people in, in their dress and in their Christianized presentation stood and watched this dirty man's sin looking like death warmed up walk to the front. 
And then he turned around in the middle of the service and he said, what would Jesus have done if he met a man like me? He wrote that book. It's an incredible book because that book is one of the best-selling novels in the history of the world. Over 50 million copies have been written in 45 languages by a simple man bringing a simple truth that he didn't himself see in his own congregation. The story is incredible. Worth the read after you read Pete's book. But the thing that stirred that congregation, small congregation, by Charles Sheldon, he then continued to build this story as he developed it, but again to get his people to simply stop how much of Jesus is seen in you in every situation that you face. What would Jesus do? Why don't you pause Psalm 46? Be still for once. Stop trying to see everything. Manage everything. Pause. In this situation, what would Jesus do? And then take action. And he said in there, his own personal revelation, as people began to digest this thought of just stopping for a moment, in this situation, what would Jesus do when my kids do that? What would Jesus say or do to show them? What would he have done? When you're confronted with the challenge in life, what would Jesus say? How would Jesus approach it? What would Jesus do? And ultimately, in all that was communicated, all that, again, Charles Sheldon had done, he created a novel which caught the attention of the world because it highlighted that most people don't know what to do in a challenging moment in their life. But when you pause for a moment, introduce Jesus into your world, not just to have the knowledge of him, but learn to be Christ-like because you choose to start to outwork your Christ-likeness by asking yourself the question, how would Jesus approach this? What would he do? And what he would do is followed in how he would say it to how would he unpackage it in the presentation. And another great message I could have preached which follows through on this, but that's enough and that's going to be enough for you today because you need to have your coffee soon. But before you go... I'd love you all to consider this. There's a great scripture when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Comes out of John 14, brilliant passage. We've used it a million times. When I looked at that and the, my message followed on with this line of thought through those scriptures, but it was simply this. I am the way. What is the way? The way is the expression of God, the, the behavior. Does my behavior line up? to being what Jesus would and how he'd outwork his behavior. I am the truth. What is the truth? Truth is a point of communication of, of, of bringing truth into a person's life. It's basically what's your language like. Love those scriptures which talk about the truth. I love what Paul says in Ephesians. He opens up in one, and I won't go there at the moment, but he opens up in one statement. He simply says this. He says, stop telling lies. Oh, thanks, Paul. <laughs> you your point's pretty clear. How truthful are we? And when we speak the truth, oh, they, we just need to speak the truth to people in love. Follow that same verse, that same chapter. And then obviously it finishes off there. 
I'm the way, I'm the truth, I am the behavior. Does your behavior, is your behavior Christ-like? Is your truth-telling, is your communication Christ-like? And then finally, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Is your lifestyle matching up to the words which you might say on Sunday? But does your lifestyle match up on Tuesday afternoon at 3 p.m.? Why don't we close our eyes? Two things we'll do. Then I'll hand it back to Pastor Chris. But the very first thing is I'd love everybody in this room here today, whether you your first time to church or maybe you've been here for a while, but I, I don't know. I have no, no, no knowledge. But Jesus knows. So I want to give everyone this opportunity. If you've never given your life to Jesus today, never made that decision, never said Jesus, you might have been to church, you might have known God, but you've never said, Jesus, come into my life, forgive me, save me. You could do that today. Because that is the beginning of the journey. Life begins in Jesus and it finishes in Jesus. Liz's confidence was irrespective of the outcome of a, a diagnosis, a future which was uncertain. She had one certainty, that Jesus was very much with her and that she would be with him irrespective of the outcome for the future. So if you've never given your life to Jesus, in a moment I'm going to ask you to raise your hand to him. Or maybe you have and 